traído a ti por la química. Brought to you by chemistry. Hello everyone and welcome to Brought to you by Chemistry. What's brought to you by chemistry, I hear you ask? Complicated reactions, complicated exams, even more complicated romances? Yes. But in this case, it's also a new podcast series from the Royal Society of Chemistry. My name is Dr. Alex Lathbridge, and in this series, we're taking a look at plastics, bringing together experts from inside and outside the chemistry world to help us understand the ins and outs of all things plastic. Okay, listeners, today we're all about compostable plastic. Compostable plastics fall into a couple of categories home compostable and industrially compostable. And, you know, that latter one, pretty handy in some situations, like when the plastic's already contaminated with things like food, you can't really do it at home. But composting plastics should really be a last resort. Ideally, you'd be able to reuse a plastic or recycle it or use something that isn't plastic, thus contributing to circular economy. But in some situations, it's important to have as your last resort. So. How do we design a plastic for maximum compostability? You don't really hear that maximum compostability a lot. But what does a scientist have to think about? And how does the molecular composition, the real chemistry of a plastic, relate to the way it behaves at the end of its life? Well, I don't actually know. And if you know, you're not giving up your secrets. But I know who might know are two expert guests, both of whom took part in a pretty big experiment. So my wonderful expert guests, could you introduce yourself? I'm going to start with Helen. Yes, thank you very much. Um, so I am Helen Hales. I'm a professor of chemical biology at UCL. And I've got lots of interests in terms of using um, microbial systems or enzymes to make molecules or break up molecules. And as part of this, um, we're also interested in plastics and how we might be able to break them down. And um, also uh, linked into that, then I've been involved in the big compost experiment that we've been running out of UCL, um, out of the, uh, the plastic hub. Wonderful. And our non-chemistry expert... <laughs> Could you please introduce yourself? Thank you. I'm Leslie Green, um, and I'm not an expert. I'm an enthusiastic composter and gardener, and I guess a sort of community activist. So I'm particularly interested in things like the soil, life in the soil, the allotments, the local allotments, um, and also climate change as well. And particularly interested in course in how compost can contribute to that and I participated in the big compost experiment uh, last year um, and um, participated in the um, session at the Cheltenham um, Science Festival um, to um, uh, show our results. Yeah you're an expert that that that's like no one with like oh, I've just got a passing interest in that does all of these things like if you said the first line oh, my name's Leslie Green, then I'd think, oh, you know what, this person's just up, you know, they're just sort of into it. But then you said all the other stuff, that's expertise. I mean, Helen, what do you think? That's solid I'm, expertise. I, I am incredibly impressed. You're definitely an expert. See, so basically <laughs> I'm here as a guy. I'm just between two titans. So I think the first thing I need to know is what was the big compost... What was, what was this thing? What was this, Leslie? Can you explain this thing? What was this thing? 
it was it was great actually um it was it's run by the university of central london it's a research team and it's a citizen science project and so um they invite um people across the country to participate and in this case investigate um, the role of biodegradable and compostable packaging. And, and as I've been composting for some time, I was particularly interested and I've always um, sort of thrown in magazine wrappers and things like that into my compost. So to participate in something where we were looking at the compost um, and actually seeing if they um, did um, degrade under particular circumstances and then report back and share that with other people and listen to what other people had to say was really great. So um, I think with about a thousand other people, um, it was really to um, assess the viability of this area of really poorly labelled um, products um, and whether they fulfilled what they uh, set out to do, I think. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there. I'm gonna put this out there to Helen. What actually is composting? Like, what is it? Because all I know is I have a uh, I have a bin. Sometimes I can throw things into. I can leave it alone, and things happen. Okay. Well, I mean, if we if we want to think about what is what is what is compostable, um, I think that we need to think a little bit more widely, and we need to think about the term of biodegradability. So. Um, biodegradability is really looking at a, um, a material and thinking about how it can be degraded by uh, biological activity. So if we, if we consider a paper or cardboard or wood, um, these are all biodegradable to some degree. Of course, wood takes quite a while. Um, and the thing about something that is biodegradable is that the general term, it doesn't describe under what conditions it, it degrades. So then we come to the idea of, 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 a, of a compostable material, a compostable plastic. So this is a subset of biodegradable um, uh, plastics. Um, and it's, it describes a plastic that can break down at a composting site. And uh, it breaks down at the same sort of rate as the other materials that break down. Um, and when it breaks down, it goes, it gives no sort of visible lumps left over. Um, but that process can be really quite slow. So composting, we can do composting at home and you can do composting at industrial facilities. And the industrial facilities are all set up to, to do this much more uh, proficiently, um, more quickly um, than a home composting system. Can I interject? Um, can I interject there? Yeah. That composting is a really natural process. I mean, Absolutely. how do trees in the forest grow? They drop their leaves into the ground. And then that is broken down by bacteria and other organisms, and then it feeds the trees. And we don't even touch that. So composting is a really natural process and gardeners use that in order to revitalize their soil when they've taken stuff out of it. So it's something that, um, yes, can be industrial, but is actually part of our earth. It's part of um, what is um, a cyclical process. Um, and I think that everything that we produce as human beings should be part of that, including plastics. And that should be thought of at the very, very beginning of any kind of industrial process. You see, Leslie, talk that talk. That's right. Talk that big natural talk. I love it. 
So with that in mind, all right, we're talking about it being so natural. Leslie, can you tell us what was the UCL big composting experiment? Like, what is it? Well, what you have to do is select um, some ele- some plastic element, and it might be the kind of um, teacups you get in, uh, I don't know, restaurants or takeaway places. Um, from my perspective, I took magazine wrappers. Um, so I took magazine wrappers that said they were compostable. Um, and I also was given some crisp, crisp packets which said that they were compostable. Um, and um, at the beginning of the, I joined the process in January of 2020. Um, and then um, the compost was unearthed in at the end of May 2020. Um, and we had to look at what had happened to um, those um, so-called biodegradable elements. My compost was really well mixed because I was doing an experiment. I just made sure that I put in uh, food waste and various clippings from the garden, shreddings, a whole lot of stuff, um, plus um, the wrappers um, and bedded them in. And it's a hot composting system that I use. So it's very, very fast. And normally I can produce compost in about, um, I don't know, six to eight weeks, very, very fast because I I am quite good at it. Um, In this case, the months were cooler. um, So obviously it would be slower. At the end of May, um, when the UCL team came round (laughs) and I undid my compost, (laughs) I was ashamed to say (laughs) that these magazine wrappers, these biodegradable, degradable and compostable elements just hadn't composted well they had they'd kind of crumbled up a bit but they were still there in great stringy lengths and I felt just um, really embarrassed about this that it hadn't worked Um, and then I was I was assured by the very very nice scientists (laughs) that it was science and it didn't matter if things were a failure (laughs) Um, but um, in fact I believe because I've added that stuff back into my other compost bins and I just took some out uh, a couple of days ago to look at it, they have now more or less disappeared, but that's a good 12 months later. So it was partly the time scale, but also it's partly the labeling. And I think there's a real issue here, the definition of these things for, you know, the consumer, the amateur, the gardener is confusing um, and not necessarily correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of not correct, um, sorry, did you say you have a hot composting system first and foremost? Actually, no, first and foremost, did it's, someone just hand you crisp packets? Like just yes, out of the blue? Yes, like someone yes. goes, oh yeah, I hear you doing an experiment at UCL. Yes. Oh, you take this crisp. <laughs> it was somebody from the Cheltenham um, uh, Science Festival and they said, what about these crisp packets? They're meant to be, and I put popped them in. Curiously, they were, they worked better apart from the silver stuff. They, they they weren't so bad actually they were they were quite good okay. but the hot composting me- means aerobic um, versus anaerobic and Helen I'm sure knows the difference between that and what you're doing is you're combining your nitrogen with your carbon and you're creating um, heat very very quickly so the bacteria and the chemical process uh, works much faster which yes. is not necessarily the same with all composting. Helen, please, can you explain the, the, the big composting experiment, the entire idea of all of this and the, the chemistry behind it, preferably in a way that doesn't make me like feel grim? Because that's why oh, Leslie was laughing halfway through that. My face, just a whole oh, lot of... Like, as soon as you said hot composting, I was there like, oh, God. 
Well, broadly, the big compost experiment, the idea is to involve um, um, the, the populations uh, with um, looking at um, the different types of bins that people have um, uh, and the sort, looking at the material, sort of materials that they put in to compost um, and to uh, gather data on um, how uh, various different plastics can be degraded under these home composting systems. We've got um, uh, several thousands of people that have sent in um, uh, initial data on the type of composting systems that they have. And there are um, few of, of them, and, and, and Leslie has mentioned this, of other citizens who um, have um, followed their composting adventures more um, uh, in more detail. So, for example, putting in particular plastic components and, and taking photographs at various different stages. Um, and we're looking also in the future to, to some of pe the people involved in this in sending back some samples to us, as well as the photographs in the fullness of time. We're, we're working towards that uh, at, at the moment. And but this really is it, it's trying to get people involved, but also to try and get some real data from from how people deal with some of the plastic waste in the home environment. And as Leslie has mentioned, you know, it's very it, it's it, this process of home composting is very slow. A lot of the compostable plastics take around about uh, 12 months, probably for about 90 percent of the material to be degraded. Um, of course, industrial composting systems, they do this more quickly, you're looking at three to six months, but they're optimised. Just really gathering data on that, it's crucial for us to know what's happening. Okay, Helen, so elucidate, just one moment, Leslie, elucidate, yeah. what is happening? What is happening? What was the point of all, like, what, chemically, what was happening? What were you seeing? Basically, we've got microorganisms, um, and they consume oxygen. And they break down the waste, uh, which is and plastic is the food for that for that waste. Um, and they produce carbon dioxide and water and compost and some heat. So that's aerobic. Um, and if you have an industrial composting system, it's much more rapid. But if you have a, um, a home composting system, it's much slower because of that you don't have the necessarily the same microbes and you don't necessarily have the, the higher temperatures. Um, what one thing that Leslie mentioned was about anaerobic um, uh, digestion and, and systems. Um, in, in anaerobic digestion systems, the bacteria um, they it's often used for food waste. They degrade the waste in the absence of oxygen, and they tend to produce a different. They produce biogas, which is a, a mixture of methane and carbon dioxide, and the digestate. Um, so. Um, you know, anaerobic, there are natural anaerobic um, uh, systems. Uh, if you take sort of a landfill system where you've got everything compacted, you will have a anaerobic uh, breakdown processes going on there. Um, but for composting and home composting and industrial composting, it's going to be an aerobic system where we use these fantastic natural microbes uh, to break down plastic and all the other stuff with it. Think of it as a system of all these things gobbling everything and just and really having a great time in the compost bin, going on a great disco dance and just eating each other. Absolutely. <laughs> all, of that, all of that activity um, creates this stuff that we really love and really need. I've got a hot composter as well, I must admit, and I'm feeding it everything. 
um, to see to see what happens. Okay, okay. So both of you explaining it in a really like happy, happy way. But the only thing I'm thinking of is that this is a weird microbial battle royale. You're just throwing things in and seeing what comes out. Who wins? <laughs> who dies? Who lives? Who goes on? That's Absolutely. What, that's life. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, so we're going to end the episode there. On that weird note. Oh, thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Helen. Um, I'll see you later. No, but in terms of like what's actually happening there. So when you have like a compostable plastic and a, a regular one, because you know, Leslie, you spoke about putting magazine covers in, putting putting crisp packets in, seeing all these differences. But like Helen, on a on like a molecular level, is there a difference between um, compostable plastics, so the ones that break down, and the regular plastics, so the things that Leslie might have seen that didn't break yeah. down? Is yeah. there a difference? Um, yes, there is. And um, first of all, if I just sort of describe a little bit about the breakdown process, and then we can think about the different types of plastics that we might throw in and, and might be might break down or not. Um, so at a molecular level, so when you've got a plastic and it's composting, there are three main stages. The first one is called biodeterioration. Uh, the second, biofragmentation. And the third, microbial assimilation. So first one, this is the biodeterioration. So this is where... Um, you have a material and it starts to lose its mechanical properties. Um, and it can be both the action of sunlight and heat. It might be a mechanical process. So, you know, if you're churning it over um, and also you've got your microbes that produce enzymes that sort of start to eat away or start to break down um, the surface of your plastic. But the main thing is, is you see a visible change in your plastic. You can start to see a little bit of sort of um, a, a little bit of breakdown, a little, a little bit of it coming apart. But that's the first stage. It's quite slow. Then you've got biofragmentation. And this is where um, in a plastic, you've got a polymer. And in biofragmentation, your polymer breaks down into smaller fragments. They're called oligomers. Um, so it breaks down into, in, into smaller bits and smaller molecular weights. Um, and the action of enzymes starts to chop it up. And um, as it starts to break up even more, the enzymes go in and break, break it down further. Now, there it's happening at a chemical level because compostable plastics have things called ester bonds in them. They can be, uh, they're hydrolytically cleavable. They can be broken down by water at high temperatures. And your enzymes are basically breaking down those ester bonds. And uh, it's important that if you're degrading a plastic, that it doesn't just stop there. So you're not just breaking down your ester bonds. You want to be able to do something with what's left over. Because if you don't, then you can get a buildup of microplastics. These can accumulate. Then the last stage. This is again where microbes are just fantastic because this is the microbial assimilation and it's where the little tiny little monomers of your polymer are then used by microbial organisms to make cellular biomass and carbon dioxide and water and various other metabolic products. Um, and the conditions with air are called aerobic um, uh, bioassimilation. So um, 
it's those three processes and they're all important. So you want ester bonds. That's kind of what's what's important. So if you think about um, the chemical composition of, of plastics, there are you know, thousands of different types of plastics. Many of them have all these sort of special properties. <laughs> um, but in terms of biodegradable plastics, they're ones with ester bonds. Okay. And one of the most common um, biodegradable plastic um, that's used is uh, polylactic acid, PLAs. You might have, have come across them. There's also things called PHAs, which are polyhydroxyalkanoates, and also polysaccharides um, are used in some bioderived plastics. And then there's lots of others. Um, but essentially, you're breaking down those ester bonds. There's lots of them in the molecule. You have a long, big, long polymer. It can be breaking them down at the end, in the middle. Um, but that's what's happening. Now, the challenge is, is that when you think about other plastics and you will, if you look at labeling of plastics, you'll see things such as PP, that's polypropylene, PE is polyethylene, PS is polystyrene, and then you've got uh, PVC and all the all these other ones. And the problem there is that these, instead of having lots of ester bonds in their structure, they're sort of lots of alkyne chains and maybe with branching and maybe with aromatic groups, but they don't have those cleavable bits in. And they're really very hard to biodegrade. Um, and, you know, it could take thousands of years for this, for this to, mm. to, to happen, largely by sort of action of sunlight on the, on the, the top of them and then little, little getting oxygen in there to try and break them down. But it's really difficult. And then you've got other things. You've got polyurethanes and um, you've got pet plastics and, and things like that. And pet plastic has ester bonds in. You think, great. Yeah, but, it's very, but it's very dense and there's lots of aromatic rings. So it's very hard for anything to get in and, and be able to break those down. So I really, got- really love right now how gassed you are about these very specific bonds. You're like, oh, yeah, it's got an ester bond in. And, you know, these ester bonds, they can be hydrolytically cleaved. But no, no, when you've got the other bonds, no, they won't work. And they've got to be broken down by UV and sunlight. And then maybe you get oxygen in it and all. It becomes very, very difficult. So that's why you don't. Like, you are generally, like, I... I want to live in your world because you have a happiness there that I, many of us could only hope to get in our lives. Okay. So we get it. Biodegradable plastics. You've got the kind of chemical bonds in there that can be broken down under certain conditions. Whereas regular plastics, they're not made with that in mind. The only way of really breaking them down is by like degrading through the environment in a way that takes ages and ages. They're made to be super durable. Okay. Yeah. So, or, or you recycle them. You might heat them at high temperatures, remold them, and that kind of thing. Mm. So, for the very hard to break down ones, that's often how they are recycled. Okay. So, Leslie, I'm going to ask: mm. in your composting experience, have you ever thrown in like plastics that you that you sort of thought, mm, let me see if they are degradable or not? What did you see like after a while? Did if, if you've got a plastic that doesn't compost, like what did what do you see? I'm afraid I haven't. Oh, you're um, too good. I'm really sorry. That's okay. <laughs> However, but, in, mm. in our community composting scheme, um, we sometimes get um, plastics, which I assume are like that. Um, and, and we do fish them out. Um, partly because both in the home composting system, but also community composting, um, we have concerns about the impact of plastics on life in the soil. Um, I think a lot of people are aware of 
the impact of plastics on life in the oceans, um, but we also have um, concerns about life in the soil. And I don't think um, enough research has been done on that so that when, say, a worm gets plastic into his guts, to be simple about these things, what does it do to that worm? What does it do to the life force of that worm? What does it do to all of the different um, elements that make up soil and make up actually the basis of our earth, the basis of our planet? So that's a real concern. And that's why, no, I haven't put in that kind of stuff. Into, I've only put in um, stuff that I th that did say that it was compostable. <laughs> and even that, I think, in past years has been a mistake because many of those didn't say for home composting systems. In fact, compost, the term compostable meant actually it only applied to the commercial um, composting systems. And, and, uh, and, and actually that's a disgrace to be perfectly honest because it misleads people like me participating in citizen science projects. Um, but hopefully that's what, why we are participate, participating because we're hoping to unearth um, some of those issues, some of those problems. Okay. Okay. So there are some problems there. So what do we have to consider? Like what sort of things do we have to take into account, Helen, when we're designing a compostable plastic to like make it good enough to like carry, I don't know, that I can put my shopping, like if it's a shopping bag, put my shopping in and it doesn't break down, but at the same time, allow it to break down when I want it to break down. Like, I don't want to mm. walk with my bag in the rain and then have like all of my yogurt and yes. stuff. My yogurt, I mean, my Kit Kats, my chunky Kit Kats, and everything just fall <laughs> over onto the ground and then everyone judges me. Like, I don't want that in my life. I don't want to be judged by the surrounding people. So how can you make sure that doesn't happen, but at the same time, I don't mess up the environment? I it, this is really really hard it's it, it, it's 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 not it's not an easy um so there's no easy solution because as you said you've got to make sure that your polymer has your plastic has the right properties um it's got to be sufficiently durable um and you've got to balance that against the compostability at the end it's also got to be cheap you don't want to be paying 20 quid for your bag that goes into the bin and then and then falls apart and you've also got to be able to produce this plastic on a, on a large scale so there's all these practicalities um, and then eventually when it breaks down is it going to break down enough is it going to be bioassimilated is it going to have that full full breakdown and if not you will end up by having an unintended consequence at the end of all of this if you think about the plastic as well, you've got to be able to shape it, mould it, extrude it, make it into bags, uh, whatever else it is that you want it to. And so, But in the end, you've got to have these cleavable ester bonds. And one of the challenges is, is to get the right properties for your plastic. Sometimes additives are added. Um, and if you add additives to make it more stable, will that mean it doesn't break down? Um, and at the end, these are going to be toxic. So I think it's, it's I mean, the, the challenges are there. Now, the other issue is this is, as, as Leslie Lee has mentioned, uh, labelling of the plastics is crucial, because if you don't label it, how on earth does the public know where to dispose of it, whether it goes into a, a food waste bin, whether it goes into general waste? Well, the idea is to avoid that completely, or whether it goes into um, a hot composting bin. Um, and if it ends up in the general waste, how on earth are you going to stop it contaminating other waste? 
because if you have a compostable plastic and it goes into general waste and it goes into landfill, because it will be an anaerobic slow process, it could be there for hundreds of years. So it, it, it is extremely hard. We have got to have um, good, good plastics, good labelling, um, a good collection system um, or a good separation system at, at the waste depots. And particularly, you've got to really avoid it ending up in some sort of mixed mass in a landfill. Um, And you don't want to make microplastics. You don't want to cause soil toxicities. Um, It's a really big ask, is is the bottom line. And and there are some plastics out there that people are are feeling really does fulfil that sort of purpose. But um, we've got to get some of the collection and the labelling systems. I think those those are crucial. Um, to make this a, a reality. Can okay. I ask you a question, Helen? Yes. Is there such a thing as a good plastic? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, th- I'm sorry to be... Is there? Are <laughs> Helen, is there? I think plastics are fantastic materials. Oh, God, why does everyone use that rhyme? <laughs> yeah, but, but they are. I mean, they are light, they are durable, they have, um, I mean, if we used glass bottles, say, instead of plastic bottles, think about the increased costs in, in transportation costs because of the weight. Plastics have revolutionised our lives and they are not going away because they are superb materials. But we have to be responsible in the way that we use them. And I think that uh, we can have plastics if we can have the recycling or um, uh, the uh, systems that deal with the decomposition of them um, that are in place. So for plastics that can't break down um, under, say, composting systems, you need to recycle them another way. That might be mechanical or chemical. I w- I, I'm really that. sorry. I'm going to interrupt you there. But that's putting the onus on um, all of us and our local authorities. Um, it's putting the onus on the end game rather than the production game. There's surely, surely, with all this knowledge and particularly the kind of information that you've been talking about today, which is fantastic, surely the producers of plastic should be doing this. Not don't, The burden is being put on us rather than them. Question, but I mean, I really do feel quite strongly about this. That there's a, there's producers out there still, still delivering, sending out what would, you would call the bad plastics. <laughs> so why? Why do we have to deal with a problem that they could sort out like in a twinkling? Exactly. Why is big plastic doing this? Uh, well, I actually don't think that. Well, I think one of the things that I mentioned is there are thousands of different types of plastics. They are often produced with good intentions because they have very good properties. And I think the only way that you can get a producer to be responsible is probably with legislation or a taxation system. And I I understand these have been uh, these are discussed and and some of them are are being being put into place. Um, But at the end of the day, if we used plastics in our homes and then we wanted to make the producers responsible for, say, their collection, then we would have so many vans on the street, it, wouldn't, it, it just wouldn't be viable. I think we have to have a sort of a, a pragmatic system in terms of how we deal with, with plastics moving forward, and that will inevitably involve the users to some degree. I'm, I'm going to say that. Is that really fair? Because we're, we're looking at this from a very Western-like 
view and you know we're here in the uk talking about this but when we look at plastic mm. use around the world mm. we're talking about our own infrastructure but what about places in let's say southeast asia places in africa like places all around the world you know quote unquote the global south where people don't have really a choice in what they can do with these plastics and so they're just there messing up the environment surely in that case the onus should be on the producers to not put this cheap plastic out there that isn't easily that, that can mess up the environment especially in places where they don't have the infrastructure to sort this out yeah i i, I well it's clearly a very difficult problem and also a political one but i think perhaps with what one of the comments that you there said is that these are cheap and that's that's part of it they're cheap they're light they're useful um, and um, maybe what we can try and do is develop um, uh, a better systems for dealing with the waste and recycling it um, to, to really demonstrate how we how we can do this in a in a sustainable way um, that then could be adopted by by other countries. I mean, if you go to places like Italy, their their waste collection systems are, are really very Fantastic. impressive. With that in mind, I. Yes. Uh, basically, that answer comes down to it's economics and politics, um, which is a terrible thing to say. It's capitalism. Wonderful. So nice segue into the next question. Given what you know now, what would you say to people who are thinking of buying or using products made from compostable plastics? I mean, do you have any tips for this sort of decision? With compostable plastics, I think check the labelling. I mean, that would be the the first thing really put it into your local authority um, recycling bin again checking what plastics they can take um, and then if you do have a composting system um, yes you could put them in there and um, but it, it, it will take a long time um, but I still have reservations on the composting side of things because of the impact and I don't think enough research has been done on this the impact on um, the, the the bacteria the microbes the worms etc that are in uh, the compost and in the soil and whether you might accidentally be introducing elements which are negative in the context of um, those those elements. Because Helen you spoke about all the different sorts of like bonds all different sorts of plastics is there like a way of improving the system to make the most of these compostable plastics? Like, would it be, would it be possible to just have one form of um, biodegradable plastic, like, you know, one type of ester bond, so everything is uniform? Would that be possible? Would, would that improve the system? I think simplicity in terms of the number of plastics that are produced would be ideal. But of course, you mentioned, we, you know, we live in a capitalistic society, so everyone else is inventing their new stuff that's all better and etc. Et, et so I think that let's let's take an example. So one of the, the best known um, uh, compostable plastics is PLA. Um, uh, the polylactic acid and PLA it's um, the, the little monomers that make it up the lactic acid that's a natural molecule. So it's all part of various different biological cycles. The advantage of PLA is that it is actually um, uh, that the lactic acid that's used to make it is produced by fermentation, a biological process. So you've got this whole cycle where you've got a biological process that 
um, will make your plastic, well, make the monomers and then they're made into the plastic. Um, and you've got a biological process that could break them down. You've got that potential full cycle. But, but there are, but it's not that simple because the, the bits for making your PLA, um, they're typically fermentation processes that use things like um, a cassava, sugar beet pulp, cornstarch. So then you're competing with, with food um, uh, provision. Uh, <laughs> um, be simpler. Yes. So, but, but, but ideally, if you had, say, uh, biomass waste, you know, straw or something like that, that you could use for maybe making your, your PLA, then, then that might be, might be good. But as I say, it's never quite, quite simple. But for PLA, you potentially have this whole cycle. And PLA has got quite a lot of properties. It's already used. It's used in biomedical applications for things that um, maybe want to break down slowly in the body to, you know, um, and it has excellent bike compatibility. It's used for making paper cups. It's used for uh, in the biodegradable tea bags that people are making now. Wait, what? Biodegradable tea bags? Absolutely. Biodegradable oh, tea mm, bags. Yeah. And, and, and that's part of, we've got a, a new citizen science um, uh, project for the, um, the University College London uh, Plastic Waste Innovation Hub, um, the citizen science project that uh, Leslie's involved in. I've been putting some of these biodegradable tea bags in my, in my hot bin and they're looking really promising. So when it comes to that, you know, you're talking about like biodegradable tea bags and all of that. Like, you know, when we have... Um, compostable bin bags or like you have bin bags like how good are they actually for the compost bin because that's a thing right what for compostable bin bags yes is that um, i think it depends on what they're made from and i struggle sometimes to find out information on that you struggle it, yes i do plenty i mean paper of course paper composting bags are good paper does break down um quite well but for the plastic ones it depends on what they're they're made out of leslie one thing i I wonder, like, you know, as we're moving towards like food waste collection for all households, like, you know, I'll put my food waste bin out and it will have that really tiny bag that I'm always really scared will split. Um, it terrifies me on that. Like I'll, I'll walk maybe like 20 paces out to next to my car. And I'm like, Oh God, oh God, please don't, please don't, please don't, please don't. The eggshells can't go anywhere. The foxes can't get this because London foxes are, terrifying do you think with this in mind like is our society moving towards using compostable plastics more like do you think that's a thing are we seeing like a shift well i think there's a lot more awareness um i think the big compost experiment is really really good from that particular perspective that it's got a huge number of people i mean thousands um, th yeah. i mean i don't know how many it is helen but it's thousands of people it is thousands in, i think yes, it's it really about eight eight thousand yeah, absolutely yeah so that's um a, a, a huge um well relatively speaking it's a large proportion of the population who are actively engaging and the impact of that in terms of the kind of webinars films the kind of stuff that comes out on the radio and that you know in the media i think it does have a really positive um, uh, impact um, on the whole population so there is an increased awareness of course david attenborough with his plastics in the sea <laughs> Um, has 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 taken that really really high up on the agenda. 
Well, well, this for me is London, so I have no garden. I have a small but patio. You have, you have a fox. I have a. I have many <laughs> leave, foxes. Leave I it out for the fox. I'm not one of those people <laughs> that makes friends with the foxes. No, no, That's no. terrifying. Um, but like, what if I get it wrong? Like this, I think this is to both of you, um, Helen and Leslie. Like, what if I get it wrong? Because let's say I've got a compostable bin bag and I accidentally put it in the recycling. Like, have I messed everything up? Can these biodegradable bin bags or biodegradable plastics be recycled? Getting it wrong can be a concern because, well, if you put it into your own, if you have a, a hot bin or a, a normal composting bin, you put it in there but in error, then it's not so much of an issue because you can fish it out. You can see it's not breaking down and then you would probably put it into your general waste. If you put it into your food collection system and it doesn't biodegrade um, or, or it doesn't really biodegrade, um, it, it can be a problem. Now, at, at municipal sites at the moment, they remove the bags um, that are added because they're made of such different materials. They have to remove them. And when they remove them, they're going into landfill. Um, that's the that's the problem at the moment. And that creates methane. That's right. The anaerobic process as it degrades down, which is slightly worse in the short term than than your 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 carbon. Yeah. You've yeah. really got to get this right. But on the other end, if I've got one of these, com uh, if I've got one of these, you know, compostable plastics that I know will break down. Mm -hmm. If I put that in my like regular plastic, like recycling bin out with like my cans and stuff, like, will that be fine? I won't cause any issues there. Can, can compostable plastics be just regularly recycled? No. And that's, ah. that's, that's the other issue. So when these, uh, when you're, um, plastic waste is collected. Um, it is separated as much as possible um, at the at the recycling sites. And for example, if you have a PET bottle, that will be detected with um, an infrared system and it will go off in one direction and some of the other plastics go in the other direction. But if you have a lot of these bags, they might not necessarily be separated. And then what your bag would do is contaminate the other plastics that are being recycled um, chemically or with heat or, or otherwise. And then you lower the grade of the potential recycled plastic that is being generated through these, these other chemical methods. In the end, I think that the, the best way of probably dealing with this is having good separation systems at waste sites, mm. because inevitably we all get confused about, you know, what's, make, what's, what's making this up and what's making the other. So we need to have um, a good system in place to be able to do that. Well, wonderful. As a guy, a young guy who lives in London and does not have the space or a garden to compost, I, I now know I can go online, I can Google it, I can find <laughs> people in my area to take my waste. Um, but not in a weird, creepy way. On that note, thank thank you both for giving up your time to chat to chat to me about this. This has been fantastic. I mean, if you could leave our listeners with one, like just a short summary of what you'd want them to take away from listening to this, what would it be? Compost, compost, compost. <laughs> compost so will solve the world's problems. I think I would probably say is, Look for the labelling of plastics and try and um, follow your local authority guidelines on disposing them as much as you can, because that will help everyone. Try to um, reuse your plastics as much as you can. 
um, because, you know, the more you reuse them, then I suppose the better they become. I think that's right, actually. Avoiding the single-use plastic, if you possibly can, um, is, is good advice because overall it will reduce the amount of waste. Wonderful. Well, on that mind, thank you so much. I think that's it from us. And now it's time to hear some news brought to you by our reporters from the Royal Society of Chemistry. Hello, I'm Lizzie from the Royal Society of Chemistry, and I'm here with Cathy Page from our Science Policy Unit. We've been using a range of terms to describe degradable plastics, and Cathy is going to help me understand what all of these different words and bits of vocabulary mean. So I've heard the term oxodegradable plastic. What does that mean? Okay, so oxodegradable plastics are regular plastic polymers, your things like PET or what you might call traditional plastics which include additives and those promote oxidation of the polymer chains leading to fragmentation of the plastic material. So this in theory sounds like a good idea if your plastic were to escape to the environment it would be triggered to break down. How are they triggered to break down? So they contain uh, often metal catalysts, for example, with cobalt, manganese or iron. Um, and these, when exposed to heat or UV light and oxygen, um, is when it gets triggered to break down in the environment. So you can imagine it being exposed to sunlight or heat, um, that being the initiator of that process, um, forming oxidised products uh, and breaking apart the polymer chains. Um, in theory, that sounds like a good idea that your plastic, when it goes into the environment, breaks down. However, we know now that oxo-degradable plastics um, lead to kind of microfragments and, and microplastics, which don't go away. So they don't actually follow on to um, biodegradation, which is where the plastic is completely um, absorbed by the microbes in, in the natural environment. Okay, so to recap, the difference between oxodegradable is you're breaking a big polymer down into smaller molecules, whereas biodegradable is when you're breaking molecules down into very small molecules that are, become one with the environment and are harmless. Is that correct? Biodegradable plastics are defined as a plastic which undergoes accelerated degradation by organisms and biomolecules such as enzymes. So they form really small molecules, which can then be metabolized by natural organisms. Um, so we say that biodegradable plastics should break down to natural materials that can be essentially returned to the environment without any pollution. This is quite a scientific definition of biodegradability. Really, when we're thinking about how these materials uh, work in the real world, um, we need a bit more consideration um, in terms of the different environments that that plastic might find its way into. It's all very well proving biodegradability in lab conditions where it's quite controlled, but if you think about the variety of environments um, from kind of the surface of the ocean, the deep ocean, um, warm kind of wet uh, earth environments, really dry, hot or cold environments, um, scientists have, have kind of said they don't think that it could be possible to get a plastic that would biodegrade across all those different environments. So it's quite a tricky uh, target to aim for um, complete biodegradability. So in theory, a biodegradable plastic is one that breaks down into completely harmless substances. It's digested by bacteria or 
breaks down the environment the same way a banana peel would in theory but in practice we can't always guarantee that because environments are so diverse exactly yeah and so that moves me on I think quite nicely to the next definition I want to ask you about which is what is a compostable plastic so compostability is a kind of biodegradability so all compostable plastics we can classify as biodegradable is just a more specific environment which induces the breakdown of that plastic. So we might you might hear about home compostable plastics or um, plastics which can be composted in industrial facilities. Uh, they all break down into biomass, um, some organic and inorganic compounds, carbon dioxide and water. If we're talking about home compostable plastic, there isn't a recognised standard, but it should undergo 90% degradation after 12 months at an ambient temperature in the presence of microorganisms and oxygen. However, again, even within that kind of definition, um, different people across the country in different climates even might compost things differently. And there's been some experiments, notably by the UCL Big Compost Experiment, um, which looks at whether plastics labelled home compostable actually do break down and there's been some quite interesting results out of that um, and they recommend actually that only quite specific applications they recommend actually that you only use compostable plastics for quite specific applications things like tea bags and stuff like that which which can go straight into your compost bin if we're talking about industrially compostable there is a standard um, a European and a British standard for what has to happen in order for a plastic to be classified industrially compostable. And that is that it has to undergo 90% biodegradation within six months in an industrial facility. So these are often a bit hotter, um, a bit more controlled than a home composting environment. We still have um, some questions about this because um, often the kind of standard of how the plastic should break down and the actual practice in real life of how industrial composting facilities run cannot exactly match up. So um, industrial composting facilities might turn over batches of waste in a matter of weeks, for instance, which means that if our compostable plastic takes six months to break down, um, there might be fragments of that plastic still left in the compost at the end of kind of the processing. Okay so now one last definition I want to ask you about and that is what is a bioplastic and is that the same as a biodegradable plastic? This is a really good question and I think this is something that people get often confused about with some of the terminology. So bioplastic is actually not a very useful label because it can mean different things to different people. Some people think of bioplastic as a plastic which is made from natural materials so um, something that's made from starch or plants. Um, some people think of bioplastics as biodegradable plastic, but not all bioderived plastics are biodegradable and not all biodegradable plastics have been made from natural materials. So it doesn't really help using the overall term bioplastic. It's not telling us uh, enough about where our plastics come from and what we should do with it. Um, so if a bioplastic in theory describes something that's made from biological materials such as bamboo, um, does that automatically mean that that plastic will degrade more easily in the environment or is there not a connection between the two? There's not a connection between the two. Um, some bioderived plastics are not biodegradable um, and some 
plastics which are biodegradable are actually made from conventional um, sources. So you get some biodegradable plastics, for instance, um, the polymer that you use to make uh, suitors, so the string that you use to sew up wounds, that biodegrades um, and you know harmlessly disappears in the human body, but that's actually made from, from traditional sources, so oil and gas. So what the plastic's made from actually doesn't tell us anything about how it behaves at the end of its life. No, um, and one thing that we would be calling for as the RSC is better labelling for plastics. So even terms like biodegradable can be confusing for consumers mm. um, because that actually doesn't tell you what you should do with it. And there's not necessarily a good infrastructure to deal with those kinds of plastics. So labels should say what you should be doing with that plastic. Um, and that also counts for compostable plastics, which should never go in the recycling. Um, that's another thing to mention. Um, compostable plastics often can't be distinguished from regular plastics, but can contaminate recycling. Um, so I think we just need to be a bit clearer on what the terms mean, but also including information that's actually useful to someone who's thinking about what they want to do with those plastics at the end of life. So if a bio-derived plastic isn't necessarily any more likely to biodegrade than another type of plastic, what is the point of making plastics out of coffee grounds, bamboo, food waste and so on? So that's a really good question and when you think about what traditional plastics are made of, it's oil and gas, which are obviously non-renewable fossil sources, um, which take a lot of energy to uh, remove from the environment and um, cause a lot of environmental damage. Bio-derived plastics are made from plant-based starting materials. They're currently only about 1% of the market. And in order for that to grow, um, we need much more efficient methods of producing them. Um, it's important to mention that you should look at kind of the whole uh, life cycle impact of a material. Um, what we don't want to do is move to biodegradable plastics, which use a lot of land and water in their production, um, because that's increasing the environmental impact, but just in a different area. So things like you mentioned, using um, waste, agricultural waste, um, turning that into a useful product um, actually removes waste from the system, but also removes the need for those fossil fuel resources as the starting material for a plastic. Thank you very much, Cathy. Bye. Thanks. Join us next week for the last of this seven episode series. We'll be chatting to Professor Charlotte Williams and Dr. Joanna Sadler, they're going to help us imagine what a more sustainable future for plastics could look like and talk us through some of the latest innovations that could help us get there. As always, if you want to learn a bit more about the RSC and plastics, you can visit rsc.li plastics. It was produced by Hiran Joshi and Elizabeth Ratcliffe and presented by me, Dr. Alex Lathbridge. See you next time.